0: Hello and welcome to the Talk. Back again with you guys for another show, for another episode of our TGT podcast, our weekly show in which we chat to a few of our guys about the week's events. Look ahead to the incoming demise of Arsenal Football Club and generally have some therapy as well. I'm joined by three fantastic guests this evening for tonight's show. First of all, it's the man who's effectively my man on the ground at the Emirates for every single protest. He broke into Old Trafford the other day and <laughs> threw some flares around the stadium. How are you doing, Pablo? Are you well? Just, just to get your live footage, mate. That's
1: all it was. Just to get your live footage. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm doing no, well. I mean, you, You, you
0: were there at, at the protest. You were handing the microphone to, we should say, Pablo wasn't actually in Old Trafford, which... <laughs> Just before anyone comes knocking at his door, he wasn't actually there. But he was at the Cronky Out protest. I mean, you did great, handing the, the, the microphones. The, I mean, that, people at the chat box were going off like a reporter Pablo. It was great. That actually turned out a lot better than I could
1: possibly imagine, to be fair. I thought it was going to be a lot worse.
0: I was shocked at the surprise of how good the connection was at the start it gradually did start to get a little bit more realistic as the guy was like listening in going I can't hear a word he's saying but uh, <laughs> we did get there in the end um but uh, that was excellent uh finally we've got our resident squatter Owen how you doing mate are you well
3: <laughs> I'm good I'm good I does have to keep the noise down in case the police hear me in here it's a bit of a touch and go situation <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean I was going to use the intro of like you hate people so much not only have you come off social media but you've moved to the middle of nowhere um mm-hmm. but uh, but no, how is uh, the life in the new place, other than the fact there's no internet currently there, which you probably like, to be
3: fair. It's, 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 it's absolutely brilliant. It was funny, the um the guy that was showing me around the house when we first got there asked why we moved out here and his face dropped after it says that my prime reasoning was I don't really like people that much. And that was the end of it. So. <laughs> but yeah, no, awesome, man, awesome. It's good. It's uh, been too long since I've been on, so it's good to get back to the, um, the OG podcast. Feinberg has me potted out.
0: I was going to say, we discovered you. You left, uh, and you're. And not only that is that. one else? Obviously, we know that Feinberg and Hernandez have been good friends for a long, long time. Um, but I mean, this is this is kind of where Mike really cut his teeth. If we're being, if we're being honest, Hernandez, how you doing, mate? Are you well? Are you
4: good? Uh, absolutely brilliant, man. Uh, thanks for having me back. Everything's uh, been an eventful couple of days uh, as per Arsenal, because you know, quiet is not what our club does. But I've been happy, dude. Uh, like owen's point uh Pong, mr magic himself he's uh he's very demanding there's there's a lot of demand over there <laughs> man puts a puts that's on just, an eight-hour marathon you know and he expects us to follow up on that <laughs> i mean i don't know how he does that
0: it's a bit, I, that's a lie no, i know exactly no. how he does that he's fueled by alcohol <laughs> and just a seven-hour marathon of body but he's um, yeah unbelievable by the time he got mean, to the game. I mean, if you're going to enjoy a game like Newcastle, and we'll talk about that in a bit. It might as well be after a seven-hour bender. Pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to know. enjoy it as he did. It's unbelievable season. You want to go check out Mike's stuff at the Goobers Pod, and you'll find it there uh, with all manner of, of really horrible things. Um, but obviously, we are. You you may or may not have been aware that we're doing this podcast because, of course, uh, I haven't been on social media for. What feels like an eternity <laughs> since Friday, uh, taking part in the social media blackout. And we obviously, we've known people that are not taking part and they have their reasons for not taking part. I thought I would just do what I can to kind of show my message. But I think the, the thing is, is that people have been very, what I've found anyway, is very open to both sides of this. People that didn't want to take part everyone's been like fair enough I completely understand your view similar to how some players don't want to take the knee anymore on the full pitch which again I completely understand that message Mike I, I'm as far as I'm aware you didn't take part in the the social media blackout um and I know that you've have obviously we've spoken a few things about kind of the taking of the knee on the pitch as well what what have you made of the social media blackout side of things And what do you make of kind of that movement and the message that it's trying to get across
4: it's very much for me look i, I kind of refer to it as tokenism in a way and it, it's it's a nice gesture it's a nice token of 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 what well, well meaning so I, I completely understand why people took the stance and say hey i want to show people and i want to show support for this movement that's perfectly fine with me so my my issue is is the lack of faith of the powers above of actually doing something and this is mm. going back to BLM, blm going back to the kneeling taking kind of the saha stance where saha kind of points out and says why should i why should i need just to to ask for you to to care why should i have a, a blackout you know to to say hey people this should be something forced that that it should, should be so freaking obvious that it shouldn't mm. be a split type of decision so when I, when I look at the, the blackout things, when I look at the kneeling down things, I I fully agree and support and understand why they're doing it because they're, they're trying to use their voice. But ultimately, it kind of leaves me with a sense of it's not going to lead anywhere. And, and it's a shame because when we see a massive, large group of fans join this blackout, athletes around the world join, join in on kneeling down. And then we have like the Slavia Prague incident. And we get the 10 match ban and I am left like, well, there's clearly they're not they're not getting the, the message. And this this is going to relate, you know, very closely to like the Manchester protests. in case we talk about it, too. It's not so much that I I disagree with with how people are are, are want to be, you know, want to vocalize and, and show their opinions. It's more of a I just don't see it making a difference. So my difference is I go upon my life, try to be a good human being and not being a, a prick to people. And that's that's what i do for the world right but the as, as far as the blackout things like I, I understand you know the the gesture of it i just ultimately don't believe the powers that 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 be are gonna be worried about it because at the end of the day accounts are what twitter's about for example or, or any other social media not specifically them or for for football powers it, it's the bottom line and you know samuel etto had a, a brilliant Interview that kind of recently popped up. This was a pretty old interview, and he said he mentioned, you know, a game. I think it was Mallorca where they were insulting him. He decided to walk out when he was there playing for Barcelona. And he said they asked him, "Do you think this will change anything?" And he goes, "Are you kidding me? If every player started walking out, and all the team walked out, and it affected people's wallet, there would be immediate change." And a good, good example. And I know there are two very, very different incidents here. But a very good example of that is the Super League. We saw with the quickness and how UEFA, FIFA, and all of them, they just they pounced on it within hours versus... Something to the magnitude of abusing an individual for the color of his skin, or because he looks different because their religious background, it takes well, hold on, let's not be hasty, let's look into this. And then and then ultimately that the, the ban was like it's a it's a small ban, it's like a two-month ban. And these clubs that were facing the super league, it was a forever ban. Like you're out of the league, you don't get yeah. to play the World Cup. It, it escalated immediately, and that that only kind of in my mind cements the idea of. If it's not money, if it's not hitting their pockets, it, they're not they're not really interested in it. So uh, again, just backtracking, I fully support and understand why people did it, but I just wish there was a different way of maybe affecting their their bottom line a little bit more to make them take a little bit more notice because there's there's been other incidents where we all know where they're quick to ban accounts for like posting a replay that was recorded off of NBC almost mm. immediately and i i just don't understand how there is no algorithm and, or method of figuring out how to sort out bad words or racist words so yeah um props to you all i, I will say social media is highly addictive and props to you guys oh, yeah. for <laughs> cutting off culture i, I will yeah. point out that because it does require some level or a lot of level of restraint so props to you guys for supporting it
0: yeah, we were talking uh, off air prior, saying effectively how I have taken the decision to write down a list of the people that I intend to reply to as um, soon as this is over. <laughs> so just seeing, because it is really difficult to kind of cut cold turkey social media at times. I mean, I'm going to come on to you in a second because you've, you've obviously done it. Um, but coming from a perspective of someone, I'm leading a channel which is all about discussion all about different opinions i'm very opinionated myself i see things written i see people reply to my own tweets days after i've tweeted it out and i can't reply to them again um i, I did block someone i somehow managed to block someone during the social media blackout um i, I did dm someone because we, we said we weren't actively using social media publicly but um Guna souls you may be aware of him on social media basically asked the questions um that he was asking why are some channels choosing not to use their social media platforms like Twitter and Instagram, but yet they are continuing on using YouTube. Like, I've continued on using YouTube, I've posted videos, and it was and he, as he said in the tweet, he wasn't calling people out, he wanted to understand, and so I DM'd him straight away, and I said that the reason why I do it is because this is effectively my job now. I, I will happily do as much as I feasibly can in my power to show my support, and if it means not going onto social media and, and not posting anything, I'll do that. But at the same time, I still have to think about the, the paying of the mortgage, et cetera. And that's why I've posted the videos over the next, last couple of days and to keep up kind of people's content as, as as they come to the channel and they're loyal to the channel and they want to watch the videos and stuff. So that's why I've done that and made the decision just completely to cut Twitter and Instagram, but continued on with YouTube. Now, Owen, you've cut Twitter completely. Um I mean, talk me through it because you you talked to me and you said it was bliss and you said it was all of these good things. But has there has did you find any difficulty in not being tempted to jump on and see what these idiots <laughs> say? See what see what is it? And when I say idiots, I mean me. What I'm saying. I'm to, do <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, to be honest with you, no. There the, there's been no sort of fallback whatsoever. I made a. Um, once I came to the sort of conclusion that that's what I was going to do, I was going to step away from Twitter. I made a really active effort to seek out the people um, like Jared that I had met on on this channel and, and and Mike and basically all the people I've become quite close with over my time on Twitter. And I made an active effort to give them other avenues to contact me and uh, like a stay in touch with you boys over WhatsApp and stuff like that. I still have Facebook, but I really sort of still only stick to Facebook messenger on there um, as well. But Essentially, the, uh, I'll talk you through how, how, how I came to that sort of point was that <clears throat> when I started podcasting, is when I made my Arsenal Twitter and I sort of indulged in it a lot and I was trying to build my profile for um, while I was writing for the, the gunner Talk and while I was setting up the gunner Crack channel and then eventually going on to the gunner's podcast and I really tried to th- immerse myself in this sort of world of Arsenal Twitter and Arsenal, the Arsenal fa- online Arsenal fan base uh, community. And I sort of I eventually started realizing Jesus, I'm spending six, seven, eight hours a day sometimes between sitting on a podcast and talking and then going on Twitter and um, debating people or having conversations with people on Twitter mm-hmm. about what's happening at, at Arsenal. <coughs> and it all sort of came to a head. Um, through the death of Claude from AFTV. And he's somebody who I had never even interacted with, I'd never spoken to him. I wouldn't claim to have known the man at all. Obviously, I felt like I knew him through my years of, you know, watching him on on, on that channel. But when I saw the reaction online assumptions being made statements being made from people who knew absolutely nothing and and throwing about some very vile accusations to certain other people i thought that this just isn't a nice place you know if this was a bar say your local bar and you went in and people spoke to each other the way that people speak to each other in this platform you probably wouldn't go back and and that's when i says to myself that arsenal for me has been one of the biggest loves of my life and and it will always be but everything is healthy in moderation and for me football was always an escape from the stresses of real life from from work from family from whatever for so many people for so many different reasons it's an escape and eventually it felt like i was having to escape arsenal and go back to real life and that's when i said to myself that this isn't good um, constantly just it's too much and it's sucking the enjoyment out of football also another thing that i've talked uh, with Hertz about that i thought was happening to me as a person was <clears throat> that my views were starting to become filtered, that I felt like I was almost stuck in an echo chamber sometimes. Of Because, as you know, there's often, with Arsenal fans or football fans on social media, you're, there's two camps and you're either in one of them too. And it's sort of very tribal and p- pick your camp and stick to it. So I felt that when I was watching games and stuff that, I was coming on and I wasn't given a completely honest reaction to some of the situations that, that had occurred or, or or situations around the club that were um, being debated online. I felt like it was almost tailoring in my opinions to suit the camp that I was in. Because I was worried with the backlash of that it would receive from others. Um, and I said to myself, well, that's really not right. My my what I want to do is come on and give me an honest opinion about what's happening and not say things just to please other people. So, but yeah, no, um, something that I found is that um I'm really enjoying my football a lot more now. And I feel like that even though as people, me and Yannick always joke and it's a it's a term that we don't really like, but we we just use for the crack on the on this channel is flip flop. And that's I don't really care if I come on <laughs> I don't really yeah. care if it come on and I sound like a flip flop because something that I've talked to you about before is I have absolutely no shame in, in in saying that I was wrong or changing my mind about something from one week to another. The mm-hmm. context the context and the landscape of every individual situation changes so much through time that you can never hold one opinion and that's it. So, but yeah, that's essentially my story of how I stepped away from social media. And to be honest with you, um, I don't think I'll ever go back.
0: And I don't blame you um, at all. And I have absolute admiration for the decision to take yourself off it because as I say, I found it extremely difficult these last couple of days not to be tempted to go on and reply and to get involved in debates or discussions or, or put my points of view across or, give my input it's kind of a desperation i suppose it's part of human nature to desperately want to have your own voice heard we love having our own voices heard at times and seeing our names pop up on certain things i think always and it's really difficult to not try and throw so I genuinely the level of admiration for anyone including yourself that comes off social social media cold turkey is, is immense um Pablo, to kind of round off this discussion on, on the social media blackout, this week we saw, I don't know if you guys saw this, but there was a, a an 18-year-old at the time, I think it was 19-year-old kid now in Singapore, um, that has been charged with uh, basically abuse. He sent Neil Mope, I believe he is an Arsenal, I'm assuming he's an Arsenal fan. He sent Neil Mope basically death threats towards his family and, and to him. On social media, after the the two one defeat at Brighton at the end of last season, if you remember the whole Gendouzi throttling incident that game and Nilmo pay injured, but Leno with the the jump and all that, he's been charged um, and and will face the consequences of those messages as an example of kind of things that can be done that we are maybe starting to identify people. But at the same time, I saw an amazing video put up by the Premier League where Ian Wright was talking to Alan Shearer about the abuse that he had faced. And some of the awful racist abuse that he kind of deals with on a daily basis. Of course, we know the story about, uh, I believe it was someone in Ireland, um, a child that sent him abuse and was basically let off because the judge gave him basically kind of a slap on the wrist for it. So it's your first offense sort of thing and, and, and stuff, um, allegedly. So it's, it's almost as if we've got kind of this polarized thing of it's being dealt with in some cases, in others, when it seems even as clear as the evidence is, as clear as it was for one it's still not being dealt with in the same way. Do you think that this social media blackout is going to have any impact at all and change anything going forwards?
1: No, to be honest with you. I mean, I think it's a nice gesture. It's really nice. I can see what people are doing. Um, I can see the intention behind it. But unfortunately, it all comes down to money, Tom. Um, If if something isn't affected by money, people don't react. And what I mean by that is, is if you sort of put something racist on on Twitter, let's just use Twitter as an example, yeah? Yeah. Um, The likelihood of you actually getting prosecuted and anything happening to you and you being blocked and stuff like that is still slim, way too slim to what it should be, yeah? Yeah. But should you talk about something that is, let's just say, like, financially, (laughs) like, uh, it's hard to, I'm sort of struggling to explain it because it's like, it's all down to up top. A little bit like the protest with Arsenal, for an example. Like, I was there at the protest. I don't believe, and I'm just going to sound really contradictory. I don't believe that we made that much of a difference. I think Kroenke wanted to sell way before. If, if he does want to sell, if the rumours are true that he wants to sell because his pocket has been hit over our poor performances the last few years. Um, Black Lives matters again, kneeling down, people kneeling down. I get it. I respect what they're doing. It's not really helping again, it's not helping. For me, I actually think the racism is gone up recently yeah. rather than go down. It's almost like we're highlighting these things and they're expanding and making it a lot bigger than what they were before. Rather than it helping, it could be actually going the other way. So unfortunately, as nice as it is for everybody to sort of try and get together and do this, um, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference to, to anything really.
3: Can, can I just jump in there? See, Pablo mentioned there the the, the fact that racism arguably has got worse over the last year or so. Um what I would say to people is that that can be quite disheartening when you see something like that there. But often in times, and I know that politically, and I'll not dive into the the politics of Northern Ireland, but I know here that often when there's the potential of change, that that's when stuff starts to spring its head up. When you bring about the prospect of change people who were comfortable who held those views originally who were in the shadows start to pop their heads out so just because it seems like racism is going up doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't always there already it's just that uh, that that the fear of change brings the, the those people more into the into the spotlight so i would say that that and i would say to uh Pablo's statement there a bit more racism. I I would say that that's a sign that it's working, uh, and for people not to stop that they need to keep the push on now. And if this past few weeks has shown us anything, it's that it's the power of people. You know, we often think that we can't do anything, but that's the worst mindset we can have. So I think uh, in terms of you say walkouts, or I even mentioned as well if if you're in in a stadium and somebody says a racist remark, don't be afraid to say it personally to them because often yeah. it isn't. There's no violent reaction. It's a, it's often embarrassment and you get from the person as well so yeah i would say that it's just about keeping the push on and it may seem like it's not working but but it is
0: yeah well said mate i think all of you have spoken exceptionally well on the topic i have to say um it's a sensitive one it's really difficult and we've obviously everyone's got so many different valued opinions about this um but i think we've tackled it there really well and obviously if you want to find out more information there's lots of places guys if you're listening that you can go to to learn one i'm sure if you want to speak to any of the guys on social media or you know you know, i mean you have to find owen's house if you want to speak to him but i'm sure if you do it will speak to you uh if you want to talk to them about it and get their views i'm sure they'll be open to to speaking about it of course you can find Owen the discord server as well uh, if you're desperate um but now let's obviously talk about the football um, and talk about what we saw this weekend or uh, earlier this weekend and and look ahead to what is becoming an increasingly really kind of worrying game uh, on Thursday about the, the definition of our season but we'll start off by talking about Newcastle. I'm not going to spend too long on it because as we know it wasn't the most inspiring of matches and kind of the main talking points from it was kind of the players that Force themselves into the limelight for Thursday's game. Um, Mike, I'll start with you about kind of the star of the show um, uh, who was really kind of put forward by the fan base a lot wanted to see him start more after coming back from injury that was Gabriel Martinelli full of energy gave you everything we can come to expect from Martinelli on a football pitch an amazing assist and I say that because it was with his left foot the, the curl ball across the box and, and massive credit to Aubameyang for finishing off uh, a ball that was difficult to deal with in that in that kind of height but he did it really well um, and stuff Fabian Shah by the way at the end of that game for the ridiculous challenge for absolutely no reason on him but what do you make of Martinelli as, as a player and what do you make about Arteta's reluctance? Despite quotes today I saw from him saying that he loves Gab more than anyone. Um, so tell me what you think about the little Brazilian man.
4: Yeah, first and foremost, when when you said a star that everybody wanted to see, I thought you were talking about El Neni and his lethal lethal shots, obviously. obviously. <laughs> Martinelli, dude, I, I can't not watch Martinelli and think of Alexis Sanchez and not think of Alexis Sanchez. He just... Every time you know somebody put on a, a compilation on on Twitter just the other day, shortly after the game, and it was like two minutes of him, right? And every time he he grabbed the ball, he immediately spin, attack the goal. Immediately try try to take on a player, immediately take it to the byline, try to try to cross it. He he has such hunger for the game and the, the, the way he tackles the game. It's it's again Alexis Sanchez vibes. I, I know that he's not everybody's favorite person however dude the 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 kid is an absolute baller i i kind of was on the same line as you tom early on in the season when a he was coming back from a pretty long-term injury b we didn't know where he was fully in in full development so we've we've seen little bits and pieces of him but never an extended period so i i always was kind of hesitant on it and and i always kind of take the stance of I don't know what's going on in the training pitch. I don't know what's what's being the dialect between the manager and the player is. So when a player isn't getting minutes, I, we can make assumptions as fans, right? Because we all think we all know what's exactly the best thing for the club. And so, and to be fair, sometimes we're we're right about certain things. Cough cough, William, right? Um, <laughs> but it, every time he's been on the pitch, ever since he became healthy, he's 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 never not impressed. So. There's only argument if I could get into Arteta's mind, and and I I try to nitpick at the interviews that Arteta gives, and one thing he he one day spoke about after a game was the the amount of youth in a team, and he kind of alluded to, hey I can't have a team of like eight teenagers, nine teenagers, right? Because you know Saka we have a lot of teenagers and a few early twenties and maybe he just feels that that's going to unbalance the squad to a certain extent. I remember there was a, a game where Luis came out shortly after and said, we ended up winning the game. And I, I'm trying to remember if it, it, was just one of those typical arsenal hold on for your dear life type of results. And Luis kind of just came out and said, well, inexperience is a big thing. We got ahead. We, we were feeling that rush that we got ahead and then we went to holy crap mentality, like we're ahead, we just gotta hold on for 10 minutes. And you know, we we were horrible the last 10 minutes and ultimately ended up winning like two one. So I, I think it might just be a maturity level thing, but that said, um, if I'm looking at Smith Rowe, Saka, those are players that have now been around the the first team squad long enough where I don't look at them as teenagers, I don't look at them like Hey, these these are young kids. So, uh, I'm I'm pro Martinelli, and the the thought that he could potentially start on Thursday that would be fantastic. But there's a there's a major decision to make because Pepe has been on form as of late. So that that's going to be a massive shout. But as far as Martinelli, I, I cannot praise him enough. Seems to never miss. He sooner or later, I think by the end of the season, if he keeps on getting some minutes, we're going to see him score. But um, yeah, beautiful assist for Obama Yang, which is a beautiful thing that he got some minutes under his belt. Looking forward for Thursday. We'll see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, he's spoken really well about him in, in regards to kind of the energy that he gives us. I love the comparison between him and Alexis Sanchez. It's that drive and will to win that Arsenal have been lacking so much this season. And he does encapsulate a lot of that. He is still, in my view, a very, uh, very raw player still and he is someone that's not going to give you what I feel is like technically nine out of ten performances every single week because I don't think he's yet capable of that I think he still needs to develop a lot more but what he's going to give you is absolute 11 out of 10 in terms of effort determination and application in the game he's going to demand of his teammates from a young age and that's something maybe this team has needed and maybe that was why we came out of the blocks as fast as we did uh, on Saturday I believe it was Saturday um, when, when we played Newcastle. And, and there was that eagerness to try and score straight away and put the the difficulties we'd had in the previous midweek to rest. And even though we'd made eight changes, I think it was, that was certainly worthy of it. Um, and obviously the man that scored, Owen, was was El Elneny. I want to let you come on to that in a second. But I know that you've got, as you've put it, a bastard's view of uh, Arteta <laughs> regarding Martinelli. So go for it, mate.
3: No, it wasn't even so much about, about uh, Gabriel Martinelli. Um, thing it's just more of the of this game as a whole so i suppose even just to summarize this game there's two chains of thought you could have with this game as a whole and it's that that it was pointless, or th- that it was pointless, but it was a it was a good performance to take us into Thursday. Whereas I hold a slightly different view. I actually think that whilst it was a good performance and whilst I'm happy about the win, that I don't think that this game was the best thing for for Arsenal at this time whatsoever. The comparison that I would do it to is say, for example, if uh, well, put it like this here, yeah, if this was Game of Thrones and uh, Steve Bruce was in a trial by combat. He has just picked Bran Stark and Michael Arteta has picked the mountain. That's how much of a fight it was, you know. So, <laughs> uh, But the comparison I was going to do was, if it, it, let's say so, some professional heavyweight boxer, Tyson Fury, is fighting for a world title. He doesn't go and spar against an amateur a couple of weeks out before his fight. You know, he wants to be having a relatively good test before the game. And I don't think that Newcastle... Gave us that whatsoever. In fact, I, I struggle to remember the last time I seen the team um, lay down and die. <laughs> so plainly, yeah. it, it was it was so easy. So whilst I do think the, the the performance was good, I don't think that it was probably the best thing for Arsenal before such a big game. There could be a, a, a false confidence there. But in terms of, with Mikel Arteta, something that I was really really annoyed about. And Mikel Arteta when he came into this club, and you know, fine well, Tom that. As a person, I'm a fan of Arteta. I'm not sure about him as a manager at this level just yet. But when he came into the club, he sort of built his reputation on the fact that he was going to be uh, quite strict and quite heavy-handed when it came to setting a new culture at the club. Yet we went into this game, and although people can say about rotation on Thursday coming up, Granit Xhaka was deployed at left-back again. Danny Ceballos was in the midfield, and Granit Xhaka picked up a yellow card quite quite early on. And had to play with it the rest of the match and to be honest with you i think it's that granite jack was arguably lucky to still be in the pitch because he did a unnecessary late body yeah. check on the thing and and what i was annoyed about was not only did he deploy those two players in the positions that blatantly didn't work before but he refused to make the substitute you know there was a lack of willingness to learn from your mistakes and I know it sounds stupid to be complaining after after a win and I'm it's as not. happy as anybody. No. But but for me there's still signs of naivety there from a man that we have that we have placed so much trust to lead us through arguably the biggest game in decades for this club in terms of how the future can go. So for me, the result was good, but but there was still a lot of warning signs there that I wasn't happy with.
0: Mate, you you there summed up kind of everything that is the reason why my mind is much more open to believing that a change of manager is, is not the is not kind of completely out of the question for me because the reason why I've given kind of art why it's taken me, I guess, this this long, I suppose, to be more open-minded about a changing manager beyond just the results and based upon actually what he's doing and his tactical decision making is because he is a new coach. And so all of the mistakes that I saw him making. In my mind, I'm going, okay, he's he's young, he's inexperienced, and gradually he'll learn to, to change and will learn to do things. And it's taken him a long time before he removed William from the team and removed Bellerin from the team after some really poor performances. But I can't now, 18 months down the line, look at the decisions that are being made like we saw on Thursday, not getting Sabios off earlier. I mean, if we you we saw how Emery played in the second half against uh, us on Thursday if we had about 11 men on the pitch maybe we could have got more from the game if we'd have changed things tactically at half-time like I wanted us to like I was desperate because it was clearly not working on Thursday at half-time and we could make five changes you can make three make them three times throughout the match and not including half-time so that wouldn't have even counted at half-time if we had wanted to make the changes but you can make five subs uh, and by what was it with 10 minutes left we'd only made one so it's that unwillingness to change it's the stubbornness to change that I really get frustrated with and the same frustrations which caused so much kind of um, animosity, I suppose, towards Wenger at the end of his time at the club was the lack of wanting to change and staying too loyal to his selection and not wanting to. With Emery, it was too far in the other end. He was so desperate to change his mind that often he messed things up and he did it against us on Thursday. That's ultimately why it could cost them the the tyre overall and it is that balance. We've gone from one extreme to the other. And while some things have happened and some things haven't, it's left us pretty much in the same sort of position as where we were this time last season in a really poor position in the league. And, and with a, a final to try and play for, we won it last season. We might not win it this season. Um, uh, Pablo, when it comes down to other players on the pitch that did play, there's two players that I want to focus on. The first one is is El Nenny, got his goal, um, came in and played instead of Thomas Partey who himself has re- received a lot of criticism for the fans. I don't necessarily agree with quite a lot of it, but he still received that criticism. Um and then he scored, and I actually thought to be honest, if I'm being really honest, I thought it was one of his best performances I've seen in an Arsenal shirt. One of the biggest criticisms I've had of Elneny is that he's not progressive, he's too passive, he passes the ball sideways and backwards too much, but he didn't in this game. He passed forwards. Even though it was only Newcastle, he still had kind of the initiative to take the game, pass forwards, take the ball into spaces, play it into the areas that we needed to play it, and it was a better performance from him. So my question is, is, is does he start for you if and only if Granit Xhaka is persisted with at
1: left-back? Uh, I mean, if Xhaka's going as a left-back, um, I'll be honest with you, I'll lose all faith in that game. <laughs> it just doesn't <laughs> work. It just won't. It, it's been shown it doesn't work. To me, I think Xhaka should be playing centre-mid alongside Partey. Um, you say, should El Nene go there if Xhaka's playing left-back? left, left back? Who else have we got? <laughs> we really haven't really got any other options to put El Nene there. So regardless of his progress or how he played last game or how he's been playing the last, I don't know how many games, is the only option we've got. We can't really play anybody else unless you start looking at the youth side, which I don't believe he'll ever think about bringing in the likes of Aziz or anybody like that. Like, I know a lot of people on social media are like, oh, play him. He ain't going to play him. Yeah, it's definitely not going to happen. So, to me, I mean, Elnen is your type of player, I think I've said before, that he's your 7 out of 10 player, 6 Seven out of ten, every single game. You know what you're going to get from him. You know what he's going to offer, and that's it. That's pretty much his limit. Every now and then, he'll come up with a good goal this season. He's actually got quite a few good goals, but um, yeah. But that's that's pretty much it. The, to me, I just can't understand in Arteta's mind. I mean, you ask anybody, any Arsenal fan, what their starting lineup would be on Thursday, and we would all pretty much agree by one or two players. And I can guarantee you, majority of them won't have Shaka left back and they'll have him centre mid. Yeah. yeah? And Saka, to me, is the one that plays at left back or Cedric. You can argue Cedric, Saka. There's other options there. But he's been so stubborn recently. Now, I wasn't a Teto in guy right from the start. I used to argue with everyone about it. Now give him a chance, everything else. I'm really starting to have doubts now. Really am, because some of his decision making, some of the. Like, so the substitutions drive me crazy. We can all see from sitting at home what's mm. going on in the game. He's He must be able to notice that, but he's so stubborn. He doesn't want to change it until it's too late. I mean, making two substitutions with 30 seconds left to go, that's <laughs> that's managerial genius, that is. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, yeah. So, to me, El Nene would be our only option should Shaka play left back, but I really don't want to see that happening. Really
0: don't. Yeah. Uh, go on, Mike. I, I know
4: you're going to come in on kind of the Xhaka thing, so I'll let you go. Yeah, on, on the Xhaka thing, just uh, just gauge the panel here, just out of curiosity. Is it that we're, we are devastatedly like, out of depth in the midfield that we just miss him so much, or do you just feel like he's necessarily doing a bad job at left-back? Because to be completely honest with, with you guys, after that Thursday game versus Villarreal, I thought he <sighs> handled Chicoise fairly... <laughs> nailed it i thought he he handled Chiquazi like really well like literally he got past him like once early on which led to the kind of a you know a ping pong type of goal with the um scoring it ultimately but after that in the second half like the 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 whole tactic was Give the ball to Chikwesi G- 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 and let him do his magic. And I think I could count like three, four, five times where Shaka just stood his ground, picked the ball out from him, and and successfully, you know, took the ball out of his possession. So I'm looking at a Shaka, and I don't just to premise it to add some context, you know. And and I know Shaka isn't the most famous or, or popular figure in our club right now, but I don't necessarily look at Shaka and say he's doing a bad job at left-back. He's obviously no Tierney, but Tierney is on a level of left-backs on his own. As far as Shaka goes, I just want to throw that out there. I don't know if anybody has a strong rebuttal and feels that he's he hasn't been performing well, but in my opinion, Shaka's has been the ultimate professional for us. He seems to be absolutely willing to play and or die for this club, literally wherever Arteta wants him to play. And I mean, look, it's, it's a redeemable quality to say the very least. So... Not trying to infuriate anybody. I'm not trying to say he's a world class midfielder, but he is a vital part to not only our midfield when he does play that, but he, I think he's a vital part to the entire squad with his personality and how he he comes out. with it.
3: You're piling these up, man. It's a, first of all, you were a, a Cronky supporter. Uh, <laughs> um, a, you're you're a Super League enthusiast, and now you're a Granite Jack. Over. Jesus. Um, no, no, I, th- I think you, you made some good points there. He is a sort of the consummate professional where he will tuck in. But the reality is, is that he has very limited physical capabilities. And I think that when you say that he hasn't, really done that bad, I would say, I, I would have to disagree. I think that he lucked out of his depth a lot of the time, apart from arguably, was it Sheffield United? He, he did quite well, but that's because they didn't really cause much of a threat whatsoever. And, and I think if he
0: score a hat-trick against them, so they must be bad. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> no, but I think as well that if you go back and watch the game, something that I noticed when I was watching it was that 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 Gabrielle makes up for a lot of his mistakes that 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 his ability to close distance out to the sort of the the touchline um uh, and sort of uh uh, and rescue Shaka from being made like a real idiot is massive and i think that when you have that, when you have a player who is having to make up for somebody else, then he can't be fully focused on his own job. And I think he brings everything down, but I think you make a good point. And that's where my frustration lies with Granite Jackie in the left back position is that it doesn't only, it doesn't only um, weaken us in the left back position. It weakens us in midfield massively, you know, so you have to weigh up those options. And for me, there's better alternatives. Something else I have touched on as well is that, when you play in a position in football, you need to have some sort of natural experience in that position. And Gabriel grew up throughout his early football career as a left back. I, I think it was only actually maybe he had only played as a centre back for two seasons before we eventually purchased him. Um so in terms of and I think he, something with Gabriel as well, is, uh, some of the arguments is that he's slow, that he won't have the um he won't have the PS either. But man, that guy can move. Maybe you don't realise it, but he that that dude can shift and you've seen it um, against Newcastle when he went full on Ronaldinho and beat half the field. He's got mobility. So for me, he's a more natural fit in that position and it sort of sures up our midfield. So I really don't. I think the Xhaka experiment has to come to an end. And I hope that the Newcastle um, game was just sort of uh, Mikel Arteta being stuck between a rock and a hard place in terms of who he had to select.
0: Uh, you can't exactly argue with Owen about his knowledge of Gabriel because I just posted a link in the chat box because he did do a biographical piece on Gabriel, so he knows his stuff. Pablo, is there anything that you want to say just on the, the Xhaka left-back debate that we haven't already said?
1: Yeah, I mean, i have sort of been agreeing here a little bit with him because I personally think that he's played really <laughs> well against... <Sorry>. <laughs> we we'll <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> I got to Ma-
4: I gotta send that to magic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, Shaka on the left, Um, he played well against Fulham, Sheffield United and Newcastle. Yeah. Everton struggled. Villarreal, I'd oh, love to say it how you said it. Villarreal <laughs> struggled as well. Yeah. Um. I mean, to be honest with you, I think there's two bad things with playing him as left back. First of all, is he's he's not capable of playing. He can against a weaker team if he hasn't got that much of a threat. Yeah, so that is the one point. The second point is that midfield we were absolutely well. We were ruined in the midfield against Villarreal, completely ruined, and that's because Shaka was in there. So to me, I think Shaka should go centre mid and put somebody else left back, even Gabriel. Cedric Saka you've got options you don't have to mess up your midfield which is the core of your team to put Saka out there personally
0: yeah yeah it, it will absolutely kind of I'll build myself up for the game I'm going to get all excited about it as I did last Thursday the lineup's going to come out and I'm going to see Xhaka at left back and I my heart is just going to absolutely sink It is really really is um I think it's I think there's three ways to look at the jacker situation to be honest. And kind of the schools of thought around it. One opinion about Granite Jacker is just that the, the the kind of the party that absolutely hates him no matter what he does, he can't do anything right. They want him to be sold. He's a mistake merchant and that's it. And it doesn't matter what he does, he's rubbish. The second uh is that he is a very good midfielder for us. I think he is a very good midfielder. I think he offers us a lot in terms of his range of passing, in terms of how he brings the ball forwards with his passing. and uses the wide areas uh, and his leadership skills, as we know, are there as well. And then the final one is, is just the fact that we lose so much attacking threat from a full like uh, position. Whether it's Tierney not being there, which is a massive loss for us, but even Cedric gets forwards when he's playing in that left-back role more so, way more than Granite Xhaka does. What you find with Granite Xhaka, and we saw it against Newcastle quite a lot, is he actually fi- ends up filling his usual centre midfield spot in the final third. Is when he's on the outside of the box, ready to pass kind of a final ball through, ironically, to a left back that's not there because he's forgotten that's actually the, the job that he's got to do. Uh, And we lose that element. So I really, really pray that we don't. I have a horrible feeling based on the fact that that's all we've done since he started there against Sheffield United, that that is where he's going to play. And we know from the form of Arteta that's what's going to happen. So, yeah, we will wait and see. Um, Now, we've got about 15 minutes before we go on to the questions. Uh, I imagine there'll be a few questions about Leno and Ryan. So we're going to talk about that in the question section about half an hour. The last part I want to talk about is specifically on Arteta. We've touched on him quite a bit already but I really do want to get a feeling about the importance of Thursday with you guys in regards to the manager, about where it sits with you. Because I was very much of the opinion, and I maintain this when people kept on asking me, is and and trust me, people love to ask me if I'm yet Arteta out. It's become a thing on the show, um, especially after we lose, <laughs> to asking me the questions. And... I basically have always been of the mind that I wanted to give him the summer. I wanted, I felt like I needed more evidence, uh, especially with backing and more players being brought into this squad, what he was capable of. Um, but as we've kind of alluded to, things have changed for me a bit. I am concerned about the things that I'm seeing. I'm concerned about the lack of changes I'm seeing and the stubbornness and also the performance that we put in in our most important game of the season last Thursday, that really, really really concerned me, um, especially considering it was against our former manager. Um, So I am very much more, my mind is very much more open to change. And I feel like this Thursday coming is going to have a much bigger impact on where I sit this season on it. I I feel like if we reach a final against Man United, we've reached the final against Man United, who are far and away the favourites for that fixture if we get there. Um, And so whatever happens in that game, it's it's pretty much you know I can justify that I I, I can't really justify Villar across two legs to be honest. I'm going to go in reverse order and start with you, Pablo. First, talk to me about you. You did say earlier that you kind of were having more doubts about the coach. What is it I suppose to ask and flip it? I suppose it's what's what's keeping your faith right now? What's what's pulling at your your heartstrings about Arteta to say that you want to keep with this guy? You want to see where it goes and you want to see him next season. Um, I can see some improvements that he's made. I mean, defensively, we
1: seem to be a lot more solid. Um, You don't have teams like we did when we was under Unai Emery, having teams having 20, 30 shots against us in a game. Um, (laughs) We're playing what they call the Arteta balls every now and then. You can see what his vision is of what he wants to do with a team. Um, I'm a little bit concerned, I think, is where my concern sort of kicks in with him is that I never thought experience was an issue before. I really didn't, but I'm actually beginning to think it does actually have an effect on his management, uh, sort of on his decision making. Actually, it's almost like he doubts himself sometimes during the game. He knows it's, it's, everyone can see what is going wrong, and he sort of doubts himself. He doesn't. It's almost like he's afraid to make that change. I don't know. I just to me, I like him. I like him as a person. I really liked him when he came in. I loved him last season. And that kind of still is sort of <laughs> playing on my heartstrings a bit, sort of saying that old Arsenal player, he's won us the FA Cup. I can see where he's going. I've got a lot more f- sort of leeway with him because I know that our team's crap. We are absolutely rubbish. We need to really upgrade our whole squad near enough. So he's got f- he's got an impossible job ahead of him. So that's the only reason why I'm not completely Arteta out, because I don't believe that not anybody can come in and change this. Yeah. So you kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Um, but in terms of the way things are going at the moment, should he fail Thursday, it's going to be hard. It's, especially if he fails through his own mistakes. That's, that's what would really irritate me. And that would be really hard for me to turn back from. Because I think we are where we are because of Poor squad, our team just ain't good enough. People just can't seem to get it through their head. Our squad is not good enough. We're relying on 18, 19 year olds to get us through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, you look at any of the top top what six teams, how many of them are literally relying on teenagers to get them out of crap? If we took out our teenagers for one game, you <laughs> we would we'd get nowhere. We'd get absolutely nowhere. And you look at Man City, United, Chelsea, any of them, they don't don't have that problem. They don't have teenagers that they're relying on. Mm. So, you know, you've got to take that into consideration when you're looking at Arteta as what he's doing as a job because the job is massive. It's not just running a football team. It's almost like restarting a football team. That's what he's got to deal with, yeah? Um, So that's the only little thing that keeps me going, come on, Arteta, I know you can do this, but... Apart from that, his decision making is just driving me up the wall.
0: Yeah. And I think I can. Dan Robert in the chat, I know he's exaggerating, um, but he says, take away, take away all kind of the stupid mistakes that we've made and we'd be third, <laughs> um, which obviously I think is a bit of an exaggeration. But I think if you compare like kind of errors that lead to goals in our team compared to others, if we didn't make those mistakes and a little bit of luck went our way in regards to, I mean, VAR, I mean, we're we're second bottom in regards to VAR overturns in our favour and second bottom in regards to VAR returns going against us, like, oh, second top or whatever it is, the the way it works out that we're basically crap for VAR. Um, And so... (laughs) I know it's a lot of ifs and buts, but it, it does come into it. And you you look at, you talked about the young players there. Man City have been able to gradually integrate Phil Foden into that side. And you look at him explode and what he's able to do. And I I feel like, Arteta's doing that with Martinelli but the problem is, is that Martinelli's as good as the players he's trying to gradually feed him in with and give him a chance which is frustrating a lot of supporters. If it was happening at Man City he'd be able to justify it because the quality is just so far and away better than Martinelli but at Arsenal it's really not that much of a difference and that's what I think a lot of fans are struggling with and for good reason. Um, thank you, classy football, for upgrading your membership. Really appreciate that, fella, and the, and the extra financial support. There is is really appreciate considering all of the massive stuff that we're changing over the channel and plan to do so in the future. So enjoy all this stuff. If you haven't yet already joined our Discord server, I'll make sure to put a new link for that in the community tab after the show. Um, Owen, there was kind of interesting questions around especially Arteta and I suppose kind of his viewership amongst fans and and how we perceive and how we actually judge performances based upon the squad available to him. His decision-making is clearly what we've identified as the biggest kind of crux as as why we can point the finger and go, no, not all of this. You can't just pin all of this on the players Mm -hmm. because there is a lot of issues that have been down to you. We had a discussion number on the LTA show. I think it must have been December, January time um and you were at that point effectively fine in saying I think we should move on from this coach look at what's out there maybe you brought up Rafa Benitez as as a name if I remember you're (laughs) nodding away so I must be right um and that's been something that's kind of been put forward in the chat is that if we do move on from him who do you go and get because you see Spurs right now they lose Mourinho And they look like they are scrounging around at the moment for coaches. I mean, they wanted Eric Ten Hag for the scenes. He's going to sign a new deal, which is just glorious. Um, And then you're seeing them linked to Nagelsmann. He's gone to Bayern Munich. The other options that are out there and the names that people go for and say, I'd, I'd turn around and go, why would they want to leave where they are to come to Arsenal right now? Or is that the right coach for a project and a situation where there's so many ingrained issues as there is at a club like Arsenal? So how do you feel about all of those kind of factors in the possible replacement of it? Um,
3: Well, for me, it's, I agree with Pablo. I think in a situation like this experience is absolutely massive. You know, like you wouldn't take, uh, let's say, a newly qualified chef after his first day of graduating from college and and throw him into a Michelin star restaurant and say, here, run the place, you know, and Mm. uh, that's what it is for me. It's that, I did mention someone like a Rafa Benitez, and you made the comparison there with someone like a with someone like a Jose Mourinho. But for me, Rafa Benitez hasn't dipped in the fashion that 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 Jose Mourinho has. His trend has been much more consistent. And we're seeing him at clubs like Newcastle, and you have to put into context the resources available and the standard of players available. And I think he's always outperformed maybe the expectations of of what was achievable with all the teams that he's been through. Also, I think as well is that we have. But arguably one of the worst dressing rooms in the Premier League, if not in football as a whole, uh, in terms of players who have been sitting cushy and getting getting an easy living um, for the past while, and I think that they've been um, pampered. And and someone with a name and profile like Rafa Benitez could come in and and have earned the right to be heavy handed. I always I always say that with uh, Michael Arteta and his stubbornness that he hasn't earned the right to be as stubborn as he is at the minute. Um. But now, look with Michael Arteta. I like him, and I made the made the comment that I would like to see him, regardless, be given the summer window, and then judge him by Christmas next year. Because then there can be no excuses for me. You know, if there's uh, if we invest relatively well in the summer. Then he has no excuses. But w- something that I hear a lot of the time as well is that that this squad is poor, and I think as collectively they aren't as good as they should be. But I, what what my where my issue lies is that when you look at people individually, you know, you look at uh, Gabriel, you look at Pablo Mari, Rob Holding given a new contract, people were saying he was very very good. Chaka as well as someone who's often defended Thomas Partey, Martin Odegaard goes through the whole squad. When you criticize any of these players individually. People are very quick to defend them and say, no, they're actually quite good. If you look at this statistically in comparison with the rest of the players, blah, 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 that's often the arguments we hear and people are very quick to defend them. But when you talk about them as a collective, people are so quick to shoot them down as a group of players in defense of a manager. You know, and that's where my problem lies is that I think that, yes, the squad is per, but is it ninth per, is it 10th per, is it 11th per? No, it's far, far from it uh, for me. And when you say about Mikel Arteta and his performance as manager, like you just said, the lack of progression on the pitch is bad enough. But the fact that he keeps making these decisions, it's like repairing somebody to, to, to save a sinking ship and for every single hole that he's repairing, he's making two or three more. Uh, and for me, with Thursday night, a lot depends on if we go out against Villarreal, I could have two different feelings if if the team selection is logical and correct and the management uh, managerial decisions throughout those 90 minutes are logical and correct then you just said the better team won the players didn't do their job well enough we're out but if we go out there with granite at left back and somebody at false nine or uh, or a silly decision made or a hector balleran playing or a william playing someone who has consistently let this side down Exactly. Then he's signing his own death warrant. And the reality is, is that we talk about culture change at Arsenal and we throw all these big keywords around. But the truth is, is that if anybody else in the Premier League's top eight teams were to finish 10th, 10th, this is Arsenal Football Club finished 10th, it doesn't matter how you feel about a person in terms of Michael Arteta, whether you like him, whether you think he's good, or whether you think this is a process. This is a results business, and at the end of the day, where we are is not acceptable for the level of investment that has been made into the squad. So for me, I would say I'm along the same lines as you, probably much more harshly. You said that you were reconsidering your view, and I have reconsidered my view. And for me, if we go out on, on Thursday night, I would be opting to to move him on
0: interesting seeing in the chat box kind of the names that are coming forwards um (laughs) i get really frustrated when i see the name graham potter so i'm not going to entertain that at all um but in regards to kind of ranik is an interesting one out there because the issue with ranik is like you see what happened at rb leipzig and and getting that side where they were Arsenal's just a different kettle of fish to to the Red Bull franchises. It's just such a difficult situation. You go into Red Bull and you've got all of these promising youngsters that have got these amazing potentials and great, great ceilings and that are in a situation where they could be grown in the Bundesliga at a point in time where the competition was not as fierce as it is now, ironically, because of the addition of RB Leipzig to the level that they are. They, they great. They're great. now able to make big money for the players they they sell, and then they're able to replace them with some really good players at the same time and compete. You look at kind of other managers. Rafa Benitez I've an issue with because of how kind of out of the game he's been uh, recently. The, the jobs that he did at Real Madrid and Inter Milan worry me as well. And He's not got an unblemishable record. He did a really good job at Newcastle. But again, maybe that was situational. Whoever you pick, it's going to be a risk at the end of the day. It's really hard to not find someone that's it's going to be an easy one um and to fit the situation i mean i feel like you're you want to
3: yeah i I do yeah and it's more surrounding the fact that we as fans and i'm as guilty of it as anybody is turning our noses up at people and i remember um prior to the michael ortada appointment um brendan rogers was someone that was tipped for it, so for mm-hmm. me, Brenton Rogers was absolutely fantastic at Liverpool. It just came a little too quick for him, and I think now you're starting to see, and Swansea. yeah, and Swansea as well, and, and Celtic too. That you know, anybody that can get playing Scott Brown playing like an actual decent footballer deserves knighted. Um, so I think with someone like a Brenton Rogers, and I know people might say, Why would he leave Leicester to come to Arsenal? but the pedigree of the football club still matters, and don't forget as well, he left somewhere where he was pulling in titles every single season he was going for the the travel travel and and he left so you know the money is something he is obviously willing to chase and 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 I don't think it's unrealistic to pry someone like him away from um Leicester and for me as well we need somebody who knows the league we have no time now for experimentation if, if Mikel Arteta is to leave I think we need it and look nothing can be a sure thing but we need someone that's that's almost as good as a
0: sure thing um I'll answer I will entertain kind of because people are asking about the whole Graham Potter thing the reason why I'm so against Graham Potter is two reasons okay one win at home in 2020 which ironically was against us um the other reason is because I think he's actually got a better squad than he is getting out of that squad I look at the players that are in that team your trossards your Proppers, yeah um your Neil Mopays and all these guys and I look at that and I go I think he could be getting more out of those that team. You're Ben White. He's got a good defence. He's got some good players in that squad. And I think they should be higher up the table than they are. And if he's not getting the best out of a Brighton squad, I don't think he can get the best out of a really poor Arsenal squad. I get what you're saying, Owen, in regards to turning our noses up at managers. And I don't want it to come across hypocritical that I'm doing the same thing with Potter. I don't think I am. I think it's justifying the reasons as to why um, that I don't want him there. I look at other coaches in the Premier League and you go... Is, is say, a Ralph Hasenhuttle the type of guy that Arsenal wanted? Back in December, it was looking like quite a nice option, but you then look at what's happened to the second half of the season Southampton, and it's massively gone down. I think the whole point of this is to go that you need to look at things across a long period of time and take all things into account and then make that decision. And And you need to look at, say, where are the successes? what, Where have they done well at? And then you look at the failures. Why did the failures happen? Have they got the most out of the squad available to them? What's the situation? What's the style of play? Is it going to translate into Arsenal? You can't just pick up a manager from one club, drop them into Arsenal, and it's going to work out exactly the same. It's just, it just doesn't. I mean, you saw of with Emery it didn't work like people assumes that we get a little bit more maybe defensively astute under Emery because he was able to make a severe side really industrious but that didn't happen at Arsenal because he didn't have the personnel available to him it's about finding someone that's going to get the best from the squad and is tailor-made to fit what we've got ultimately already that's why there's there's maybe kind of the ranick side of things in regards to the style of play could work but the actual kind of situation of that club was so different to Arsenal um Finally, Mike. Before we go on to uh, the questions from the listeners, where are you at in regards to like the cutoff point for you? What is where you're pulling the cords? What has to happen for you to say, "No, I'm done. This guy needs to go."
4: Oh, man, you, you guys already went through some some brilliant points. That uh, <laughs> this this is where I'm at, and consistency in my my viewpoints uh, i i try to i try to stay consistent and i totally understand where where you're coming from tom where you know due to evidence due to how the season plays out you, you could change your mind but i've said this for a really long time and i know it's becoming vastly, very fastly unpopular with people but sometime early to mid next season is when i'll truly start to judge them a little bit harder because uh, i do believe that keeping them around for the summer transfer window is, is vital and in the sense that I, I, I'm i of the thought process of you get rid of a manager, you start from square one again. So you have to start all over. And I, I've have often had this conversation with people online where, excuse me, there when I say we're in the middle of a rebuild, I often get a rebuttal. We've been rebuilding for six years. I don't see it this way. I see it as Wenger did his things at the last couple years. Unai Emery came in with a different structure, different board, different people backing him, ultimately pushed his word aside. We all know the story that Unai wanted Saha instead of Pepe. And so it was it was a different structure at the club. He came in. Ultimately, he came in with the, hey, let's work hard and run attitude. And unfortunately, our players were thought they were above it and ultimately, he ended up paying for that, right? So now we find ourselves in a structure where Raúl left, um, Gazidis left. We got a do, we got a do in place. We got a teta in place. We have Richard Garlic that's going to come in to help with the contract situations. We got Dick Law overseeing certain things. And the way I look at this is, since we have a new board, so to say, a new structure. This is a for me when they change the structure of how a club operates, that's a new breaking off point. So my breaking off point is a and Arteta as a duo. And if I'm looking at their one transfer window where they truly got to work together, I can't look at that transfer window and say they are not identifying players that the club needs and they are not doing something to move us forward because, they're look, I know William has become a very popular player to to bash arteta with right i'm more along the line and, I've, and i and i say this tom i could only listen and read things and pick and choose who i believe essentially when it comes to how transfers play out now tom you said on this podcast multiple times that Willem was essentially the one and only option that was given to arteta yeah and a lot of people were like, "Well, Arteta played a part, and he signed him." We're like, well, it was the only option, so he went along with it. Shortly after that, Martinez was sold. Parte came in. Gabriel came in. Tierney, I'm try- I'm struggling to to remember what was Tierney. Um, this this season or last season? This Martini summer. Tierney was 20, uh, 20, 20, 20, in. Like we were twenty. We were in twenty we twenty for what seems at five years. So it's. The- <laughs> 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 I mean, so, this whole world's been crazy. So. All of this, all of this. this, um, I will say, you know, like, I, I, I appreciate where you guys are, are standing with that. The one thing I don't understand is some fans are like, if we get knocked out in the quarterfinals, that is it. Or the last 16, next round. If we get knocked out in the quarterfinals, that is it semi-final if we get knocked out in the semi-final that is it make up your mind dude because he's already surpassed the 16 the quarters so go ahead
3: no it's just a kind of your point because like i've, I've heard this argument from loads of people about about uh, backing arteta and stuff like that but if the sole basis on him keeping his job or the fact that he's going in the right direction is done through a couple of transfers then take him on as a recruiter if he's that good at getting deals done but at the end, end of the day it doesn't matter what is done in terms of recruitment it's it's what he's doing on the pitch and the lack of progression on the pitch and whilst a lack of recruitment might come into play with that there the fact is the resources he has at his disposal are much much better than the results that he's providing and um, so for for me that's a little bit of a shaky argument to, to put across in in, in favour of Arteta because to me, like for example, a lot of people who back Arteta as well say that oh, great for Marteta to get Gabrielle and Partey, but a dude's an idiot for signing William. You know, it's <laughs>
0: yeah, what I would say is that it's I've even- used. I've used that as an argument to say that, look, that's one of the reasons I want to stick with Arteta is because I've seen the recruitment, I've seen what's gone well, I've seen him identify players, but you're right in pointing at Edu because if Arteta goes, Edu is still here and, and he was definitely involved in the identification of, and, and bringing in of Partey and bringing in of Gabriel and Erdogan and all of these guys. So that is still going to be here. Um, you've just got to hope that it's... For us, it's starting from from square one if we'd sack Arteta for me. Whereas someone brought up the example of when Leicester sacked Claude Puel and brought in Rodgers. Was that starting from square one? I don't think it was because Leicester have recruited exceptionally well over a long period of time and they had a good base already for Brendan Rodgers to come in and take on that squad and then add to it with the players that were there. So we're not starting from the same situation as say Brendan Rodgers was at uh, Leicester. And I don't think Brendan Rodgers would have necessarily got us to as high as where Leicester have got uh, already. I think he would have got us higher, definitely, than what we've seen but i don't i would think it would take a little bit more time because the amount of recruitment that is going to be needed to really overhaul this squad it's a really it's going to be really tough go on mike sorry
4: Yeah. So, no and so so in regards to like i know that if you look at our squad on paper you say this team should be above you know 10th above ninth wherever we're at right now i i can't escape the thoughts guys and, and i really and and i know that for some fans it it may seem like just an excuse to just bail out Arteta because I like the guy. And and by the way, my theory essentially is I like the manager and support the manager until I feel the players turn on him. And so that's the, that's the feeling I got with Wenger towards the last couple of years. So I'm like, he has to go. Unai lost a PR battle with Ozil in his camp. I'm sorry. It's, it's not going to work out. Arteta, I don't get that feeling. I get the feeling that the players are still with him. So, so the way I see it is, I, I fully understand where you're saying on about the you know the recruitment and everything, but I just feel like our squad kind of piggybacking to what uh, Tom just said is our squad is severely unbalanced and out of depth in a lot of positions, and I just don't think it it's it's comparing apples and, and apples so to say. So when we do not have both Partey and Shaka in the midfield. Our midfield options are 14th place in the league, maybe. And there's an argument to be made that we're lower than that. When we don't have Tierney, that's a massive, massive downgrade left back, so on and so on. So we we look at the squad and we say, on paper, I see some people, you know, cheeky monkeys, as Danny would call them, try yeah. to squeeze into, like, how can this, this team finish 10th and they'll, like, include Udegaard, right? And they'll include Roe, include Martinelli. Well, Raul Martinelli Udegaard weren't available for the first part of the season; they were injured, and then Partey injured for a massive part of the season. These, I you, I just don't feel that I could look at this team and say it's okay to have Raul, one of our best Smith Rowe, one of our best performers, Partey undoubtedly our best midfielder and transformative midfielder, Tierney a top top quality left back. With the lack of death that we have, and say to me, I, I can't I don't feel comfortable saying that's just an excuse, those injuries are nothing. When we're looking at Liverpool potentially not making Champions League, and if you ask most fans, well, what do you expect? They don't have Van Dyke. So I don't know, I can't justify one team collapsing for at for or doing having a bad season by their standards through the injuries, and then turn around and say, Arteta, I'm sorry, dude. The fact that you have to pay play. A right back at left back, you have to play Sibyls or a instead of Shaka, or I'm sorry, instead of Partey. And say you you've been dealt the, the cards to win in this circumstance. I just I feel like he has came into a, a very horrible situation with the team between COVID, clicks, wages, et cetera, et cetera injuries, VAR, and dude, he has to. And I hate to sum it up to this. He has to have one of the crappiest lucks of a first-year manager ever, and because there's so many things that just completely fell against him this season, to the point where I, I, like I said, we literally had to pay a bad bunch of anti-professionals to leave Arsenal Football Club. You know how bad you got to be as a professional for somebody to have to pay <laughs> you to leave. It, I just, I don't, and it's like night and day, right? All of a sudden, uh, gerbil is no longer reporting on the leaks from the dressing room when, when that, you know, when that, cl- <laughs> when that click leaves and so on and so on. So this is what I'm holding on to with my dear life for, 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 uh, to put myself in a, Arteta in camp, because I, I really don't like the, the label. Um, mm. is that when we've had a healthy squad, the majority of players healthy, it came right around that December mark. And that's when we had the uptick. And then gradually we started getting injuries again and we started going to hell. So the, the way I look at it is, is is as simple as we lack death tremendously. Midfield is, is our, our options in midfield, midfield are horrible when one of Partey or are out of them just completely drops. You know, uh, Pepe was in bad form, but luckily he's back on camp. And then... The last but not least in defense, this is going to drive some people absolutely crazy. But guys, David Luiz, he's probably our best center back at this point. And I know that is not something that anybody wants to hear. Um, But other than Gabriel, maybe? he's probably, he's he's a per, he's a very important fixture in our defense, if not just for his, uh, you know, his sporting ability, but for the communication line that he has with Gabriel. It's very obvious that when he plays with Gabriel, Gabriel is just a different type of player, in my opinion. So um, for all of that, for all of that nonsense, I'm going to say until this upcoming summer, after he gets to do what's going to oversee a, a crazy amount of outs, and a crazy amount of ins, I'm going to start to judge them with hopefully a healthy squad. And the very last point, Tom, I want to point out, that just Pablo, nothing against you, but it's a small, small pet peeve of mine. Guys, give the club credit for developing these young players because I, I just feel like when people are like, well, he's getting saved by teenagers. The club bought these players and developed them since they were like seven, eight, nine and it's they're different. They're just a different brand. And I just feel like if you're good enough to play, you play. Like I, I'm gonna make this comparison, and, and I'm not saying that. I got I got to sneak this joke in here, um, Tom. I'm not saying that Saka is at Messi's level because Messi started oh, because he, <laughs> here, here comes the joke because he's clearly above that. But Messi started off from an early age. Nobody looked at Barcelona and said they're getting saved by a teenager. They looked at him like, wow, they brought this kid from Argentina when he was like eight, stuck with him, developed him. He's a beast. That's kind of how I look at Smith rowe I look at Saka. Hopefully Martinelli is going to be in that camp. And I'm really hopeful for you know, Aziz is being touted a lot, Cottrell is being touted a lot, and um Sherjan. So I don't know. I don't I don't look at that necessarily as hey, hey, the club got lucky. You know, you kind of get it both ways. If we bash them for the players that don't make it and ultimately leave, we gotta praise them for the ones that do make them. I, f- and I thought you, I
3: thought you were gonna bash oh. Pablo uh, <laughs> for not no, for, no, no, no. for no
4: for not like in the super league. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go back now. I've done enough defending or providing my opinion of the super league to, to get me shadow banned by all FT. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my my opinions to that. I'm gonna lay those down Okay, right.
0: Let's we've got just over 15 minutes left and we've got quite a lot of questions, guys. So I want to have some quick snappy answers to as many of these as feasibly possible. Um, so let's go through as many as we can. Pablo, starting with you, Daniel Roberts says, Who is better and who would start for you on Thursday? Bernd Leno or Matty Ryan?
1: Right. First question is who's better? I would say Leno who should start on Thursday should be Ryan purely because of confidence at the moment I can see that Ryan um has brought a bit of stability to the back burnt Leno at the moment although he played really well on Thursday um against Villarreal and pulled off that amazing save that sort of kept us in the tie um I just think at the moment there's a lot of heat on Leno um he's been going for a bit of a bad patch and as our Arsenal fans are used to doing we've all jumped on his back which probably hasn't helped him <laughs> it's a good job to, it's a good job there's no fans at the emirates as well because that probably would have made it even worse so to me just for this
0: game i'd say go with ryan uh Divian says i mean is our squad worse or better than viarios's it's better
3: it's better 100% um if you look at the 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 pedigree of all the players involved and and up till this season the form of all players involved william included <laughs> It's uh, it's uh, much better. Put it like this here. Francis Coughlin is still running about in midfield for them. You know what I mean? We've progressed a lot further than that. So, um, for me, definitely a 100%. Uh, One of the issues awesome.
0: with Arteta, though, is what I'd say is that, and we criticise decision-making, he actually put a worse Arsenal 11 out last Thursday than Villarreal's 11. you are You're, you're mm-hmm. correct in saying that our squad is better, but he actually messed it up by putting out their team on Thursday... Was better than us. Uh, you I, go for yeah. that man for man. <laughs> They were better than us, yeah. and they are. That eleven is better than ours. The I, I, I actually better. made
3: the, the comment that uh, <laughs> who says cockleland over porte is <laughs> Amir. Um yeah. No, I actually made the comment that that game was so terrible that it could only be managed by two Arsenal managers. That's how bad it was. Like, it was
0: yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's perfectly summed up. Oh dearie me, uh, Zamir says, uh, Mike, do we have that big of a drop in quality, or is it a combination of quality and Arteta? Doesn't have a plan B to steady the ship with backup players.
4: I think the plan B is a massive thing. I think that uh, that goes into these games with a uh, with his game plan, and he thinks, "Guys, you're killing me. <laughs> I'm going to Mikhail from now." I'm say Mik- out, um, <laughs> he goes in with a plan A, and he's he's very set in his ways, in in the sense that he's like, "I'm going to tackle this game in this this specific way." And this is what I think is going to happen. And like he he spoke about it after the Villarreal game where he he said, yeah, we had a game plan, but my game plan fell apart after they scored early on. Like, guy, you, you should be able to kind of react to that, right? So yeah. um, so I think he goes in pretty headstrong with the way he wants to set up the team. And as far as the, the quality goes, um, that that's a, a weird one because I, I kind of look at it in two ways. We, when it comes to forward options, We always have like Martinelli, Pepe on the on the field or or on the bench, ready to come in. Or sometimes it's Laka or Aubameyang. So, when it comes to our forward line and pressing, when we need to press, we got options to come off the bench. But when it comes to our midfield options, the two that start, those are the two you're gonna have to deal with throughout. So if one of them gets sent off or if one of them having a bad game, um, you know, I think the the sub that he was gonna make, which we all agree that he should have done earlier. Uh, speaks volumes to where he was going on that game because when he said he was going to sub out Cibayos for Martinelli, mm. I don't even know. I, I what three four three? Maybe he was going to do that. I was a little confused when he said that because it wasn't like for like. So um, a little bit of both, Zamir is what I'll say. But yeah, we we lack a lot of quality in midfield, but we got seems to be enough options in the front four to annoy fans every time somebody's not on. So not on plane. So it's it's a good headache to have in the in the front four.
0: Um, Ed Welch says, uh, "Pablo, if Arteta wins the Europa League, is all forgiven, or do you want to see more long term progress in science? If he wins it, then we need to get a statue outside the Emirates."
1: <laughs> <Super nice>. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he. Um... Yeah, to be fair, it'll, it'll buy them a bit more time and obviously with other fans to sort of say, look, okay, he's won the FA Cup first first of all, then he's won the European Cup the following season. You've got to give the guy a chance then because he's obviously proven his worth. Um, the thing is with me is is I'm not sort of judging him on actually winning the European Cup because I believe United are the better team left, Yeah out of all the teams that are left. If we lose to United in the finals, even if we lose to Villarreal, but we've tried and put out a good team, yeah, then I can accept that. But when we're making silly errors and silly choices in the starting 11s and the substitutions, late and stuff, that is what's griping me. So it's not even really about winning the, the cup itself. It's just about sorting out these issues that he keeps repeating over and over again. But yeah, the answer to that question, yeah, statue, get it done
0: <laughs> <laughs> i did say the other day, i think if we were to win the europa league it would be arsenal's biggest achievement since wenger keeping us in the top four with like no money um it's to win this competition with this team in this situation after this season it would be uh, uh, fluky as shit <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's that's pretty much how i feel apologies for using my french but that's just the way it is with that it'd be ridiculous um Owen Cayman Guna says, hearing that Leno wants to leave the club, this is a huge slap in the face. Uh, and what I want to also add on to that is that would, would you take Wojciech Szesny back as well? Because that's also like a growing rumour um, at the same time.
3: Man, he is one one of those that got away, and he chesney. He, yeah. I, I,
0: I, I would take him back. Yeah, I would take him back hundred
3: percent. But but look, do you want to know what as well? Is i would be completely open to Leno Leaving. Um so what I, I I have said, and maybe you can back me up on this, Tom, since since the beginning, really, when even people were starting to go overboard and call him world class and one of the best keepers in the world and it's just there's, there's something about him that doesn't instill a, a pile of confidence with me. It's distribution. I tell you, I was talking to my brother the other day, and, and I said that Leno at this moment reminds me of David De Gea in his early United days. Very good shot stopper, but completely uh, incompetent uh, in terms of physically, um, very unconfident in terms of his composure in high-pressure situations. Um and for me, I, I just don't know. I I know that that Emmy Martinez did something similar, but I never like when a player turns around and says, "Look, I need certainties that I'm going to be playing, or else I'm off." You know, to me, that, that 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 shows a part of their character that they aren't up for the challenge of competing against somebody else. And for me, somebody like Matt Rand does, and I actually think that he is a much more complete goalkeeper than Bird um, as well. So, uh, yeah, look, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have a huge problem. It's a bit of a slap to the face when the club have committed to him. And uh, to be honest with you, I think part of the reason he's he's sort of fallen, fallen in terms of levels of performance is because he doesn't have that immediate competition and he has too many reassurances on the security of his position.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, um, and I think that Chesney obviously is, people talked about saying he's too old. He's thirty-one goalkeeper. That's that's not old Brave. for a goalkeeper at all. Um, I think that he would be an absolutely fine replacement for uh, for Leno, one hundred percent. And I'm, I am planning on doing a tactical breakdown on, on Wojciech Chesney, which is something I never thought I was going to do, but it's going to be happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pablo, uh, sorry, not Pablo. We're going to go to Mike first, then Pablo. Let me just find the next question as it rolls down. Here we go. Um, Classy Football is our brand new upgraded member. It says, in terms of the transfer window, what do you think the transfers would look
4: like without European football? I think we would keep a few more players than we're planning on selling. Potentially, like Joe Willock might might be a player that we, we keep, uh, Mainsley, potentially. That might be a key to save him his Arsenal career. But that that's my biggest bet. Uh, that and then potential loan, loan market. I mean, Udegaard, it's, as I like to say, a snowball chance in hell of us signing him without Champions League final. So, well, Champions League money, sorry. So, uh, if we could extend his loan, that would be absolutely brilliant. But I think that's going to be there. I think the difference between Champions League football or European football and no football will be loan... Loan and contract extensions. I could totally see the club extending David Luis, Lacazette, potentially keeping Willock, Mainsley. If we don't make it, just on a cost-effective purchase. And and then if we do make it, we might be a little bit more aggressive and go get that nice, shiny Bazuma that we all want in the midfield options and potentially, potentially even... Selling one or two of our strikers and purchasing a new one But if without european football, I could totally see them just Saying hey, we might have to be a little bit more reserved. Hey, lacazette Can we convince you to sign a one-year extension? W Luis, a one-year extension and we'll go from there I I still think there's going to be a few players that are going to leave just because we're a little bit uh, Overstaffed in certain positions like center back for example, but I just think the reaction between Extending and deciding to sell would be crucial. Whether we we make it to Europa League, to the Europa League football next season.
0: Uh, Yo Yo asks Pablo, having sold Emmy, signed Runnison and Ryan, would Leno leaving this summer not suggest Edo Ed and Ateta are inadequate for our signings of a goalkeeper?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, there's Leno leaves. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't lose no sleep over it. Literally wouldn't lose no sleep over it. It's kind of frustrating the fact that we lost Emmy because (laughs) because of the whole thing that you couldn't have both of them in the same team. And in the following season, he just decides to just go. As mentioned before, that's a right slap in the face. And if that is his attitude, then by all means go. You're not actually that good for us to be sort of worried about you going. Um, There's plenty of options out there. Chesney for me, this is more of a personal thing. Just love the guy to bits. I literally do. I'm like I've I was following him right back when he went to sort of on loan to Brentford. I remember that and he was like the player of the season near enough <laughs> for the yeah. championship. Um so yeah, it's unfortunately didn't quite work out for him, but he's an Arsenal guy through and through. He's still a quality goalkeeper. Um so yeah, as far as I'm concerned, Leno wants to leave, go. But it's just a shame that we lost Emmy in the process of him going. Yeah.
0: I think people discredit sometimes how important it is to have Players who are fans of the club uh, within it and, and have that connection as well, and Chesney does bring that. Um, he's also absolutely massive, um, so we'd have no problems with claiming corners uh, or anything like that. So, and uh, I just want to see that that penalty taking, uh, like the thing where he like shifts from side to side before right? he <laughs> saves a penalty. I mean, I'd love to see that back. I mean, he didn't save many, but I mean, he would have a better check um here we go the next couple of questions then uh, i saw a good one here we go slabamir says uh Owen, what are the three main positions we need to strengthen the summer for me two of those are said to um
3: definitely definitely one of them uh, i suppose that depends uh, let's operate in the premise that that I think the likelihood is that we will extend Martin Udegaard's loan for another season. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Uh I, I do. I think that we'll not get him on a permanent, but they probably will will loan him back probably for a hefty loan fee. Um mm-hmm. so let's operate on the premise that that's true. I think that right back is absolutely massive. Um right sided centre back, it depends because for me, under Mikael Arteta, William Saliba probably won't get a chance in this side, I don't think. Um, I think there's bridges but Bird. So uh, if Arteta's gone, I think that, that covers that position. He's doing quite well. Um, Central midfield, I think we're starting to need to evaluate our striking option as well, uh, with Alexander Lacazette having one year left in his deal, up on form going downhill, uh, and the age he's starting to get to as well, um, striker. So, yeah, for me, look, I think something that we've missed at Arsenal is a real top. Top level center half, and whilst Gabriel is very, very good, I'm not sure whether he's fully mature enough to, to, to carry our backline. Um, mm. so for me, it's a, a big center back, um, a, a center midfield, someone in the mold of Basuma and then um, a, a striker.
0: Interesting choices. Um, no backup left back for for Owen there. No backup goalkeeper for Owen. Basically, uh, we're going to be toothless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this I mean, it just goes to show, obviously, how difficult it is going to be to prioritise positions, how much needs to be done this summer. I mean, you look at backup, left-back, backup goalkeeper, centre-back is, is, for me, it's, it's possibly up there. You've got Saliba and Mavropanis coming back. You've got to decide what you're going to do with them. Saliba has shown really good leadership skills at Nice this season, but he's still a kid. Centre midfield needs addressing because we're losing Ceballos. I mean, we're losing other players as well. It's, it's so difficult to really kind of quantify the areas striker, we don't know what's going on with Nketi or with Lacazette, what's going to go on with them? Do we need to sign someone there? Arguably a wide player, if we can actually manage to move on Willian. What are we going to do with all these positions? We need to work it out. Right-back could need addressing if Bellerin is sold to There's so much this summer. I mean, as we always say every summer, this is the most important summer of our <laughs> lives. <laughs> and it does stand true for that once again. Alex McCarthy, uh, who rejoined as a member again today. Appreciate having you back, Alex. Says, why doesn't Mikel have a settled 11 yet after 18 months? I understand the squad is inadequate for his style, but rotating consistently provides
4: no consistency. What do you think about that, Mike? I don't necessarily think that it's the ro the, sorry. I don't think it's the lack of quality and he's he's rotating specifically by choice as much as his hand is being forced. When y- you get something going on and you know Martinelli plays good, the very next ge- game he's gonna start. He sprains his ankle when he's training, so he's out for a while mm-hmm. again. Uh, Lacazette, Aubameyang been in and out. Uh, Luis and Gabriel seem to be the partnership and then Luis you know b- b- breathed on that Wolves player we lost Luis for like three three games Parte obviously been injured you know tierney has been in, in and out I, I think it, it's been a little bit more forced than we would like to uh, admit it but I, I honestly think that there's a I think there's a starting 11 out there where think about nine players would start without any any problem I mean I know we could just top of my head, Udegaard, Roll, Saka. You know, and you could debate Albamiang and Laka if you want. You know, Shaka and Partey in the midfield. Gabriel Luiz in the back. Tierney has left. These players, I don't think they'd be rotating in and out if A, the, the calendar were so congested, and B, if we didn't have this crazy amount of injuries. So I think it's a little bit of, you know, bad luck with injuries. I don't think it's necessarily that he likes to rotate just for fun. But I think the congestion, this has been a very weird season in the sense that I don't think any pro athlete in football has had to play this crazy amount of games in the short amount of time being that the the season was what short about a month or so. So it's been kind of an odd and learning experience for everybody. So uh, I'm going to go with that personally. I just think that injuries played a massive part. And if he had the complete squad healthy, I think there's about eight or nine players that gone on that team sheet without a doubt, and he wouldn't be swapping them in or out.
0: Fair enough. I think that we've comprehensively covered plenty of topics uh, today. And we finished up the show with a brand new member as well, Jashar. Thank you so much, mate, for joining up too. Uh, Really appreciate you upgrading your membership there, fella. As always, enjoy your exclusive content. If you have now managed to join our Discord server, enjoy your time in there as well. There'll be a new link in the community tab straight after the show finishes up which is very very shortly um i'd like to take a massive uh moment to thank my amazing guests this evening it's been a really enjoyable hour and a half chatting to them um i mean owen you survived uh involving like it involved more than four people there's actually like a chat box there's a social aspect to this that's gone on and you've made it through so congratulations but most of all thank you for your time mate i really appreciate it
3: yeah, cheers, buddy. Absolutely brilliant to be back on. As I said in a message, it's probably too long. But um, if you want to find me, I know I don't have social media, but contact Mike Hertz at uh, the official Cranky Supporter League jacket um, <laughs> Supporters Club. You can find him on Twitter oh, and yes. he'll pass on any messages. But, no, thanks for having me on again, and cheers, lads, for the, for the great company. And Chatbox was lighting it up tonight as well, so.
4: Yes, it was. Yes, I'm going to filter the messages like, hey, let Owen know that we miss you. Owen, hey, they don't miss you, mate. Just stay away. I'm just going to filter it like that, the way we're going oh,
0: right now. Only sending the bad ones. That's
4: all we <laughs> want to
0: see, just going through. All that self-esteem that's going to be growing within him 100%. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for coming on once again. It's been a while. as It has been for fun, but it's a massive pleasure having you on, as always, brother.
4: Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime you have an opportunity, I'm more than welcome. I absolutely love chatting with you guys. So thank you so much for having me on, Tom. No problem
0: at all. Uh, And finally, our resident Sky Sports uh, correspondent (laughs) on the ground at the (laughs) Emirates every single week is Pablo. (laughs) Thank you so much, Pablo. I really appreciate your time, fella.
1: Uh, Thanks for having us, Tom. Really enjoyed myself. It was lovely talking to the guys and everything. Just, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Really good fun.
0: Stuff. Uh, you can obviously find uh, Pablo on Twitter at Pablo Mira at 11. You can find Mike at Mike Hertz FC. And you can find Owen in a bush somewhere in the Irish countryside. Um, so we will see you again very, very soon. I'll be back tomorrow uh, for Let's Talk Arsenal at uh, 5pm. And, of course, the preview show with some more expert members will be uh, on Wednesday, likely 3pm UK time. I'm also planning on doing quite a lot more content daily as we come to the end of the season. Basically, as soon as the season is done, daily transfer shows at 8am. I'm going to try and commit to this. I really, really am. It's going to get me into a routine. It's going to stop me wasting time playing Fallout before I start work. I'm just going to get on here and put out a transfer video pretty much every single morning. So that's going to be the routine uh, in addition to, of course, all the usual stuff. As I said, there's going to be a new link for our Discord server for the expert members and hire in the community tab as soon as this is finished. But if you've enjoyed the content, make sure you drop a like on the show. If you've got any things that you really felt like you wanted to say based upon what the guys have said, and you know how to do it in a respectable way, make sure you leave a comment uh, in the comment section as well. We will see you again tomorrow, 5 pm, for Let's Talk Arsenal. It's been a pleasure to speak to you as always, and as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90-plus minute.
1: Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first.
2: Pro Pilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times.
0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talksport fan
4: network. Talk Sport. powered by fans.